Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. For writer Washu, it's a Snoopy cutout that decorated his parents' wedding. For artist Ari Bird, it's a tree pom-pom that her grandfather painted gold and gave to her as a child. Whatever it may be, the objects we gather or inherit often speak to who our families are, who we are, and what we value. They connect past and present. What's an object like that for you? A family heirloom or something you treasure? Tell us, next on Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Welcome to Forum. What's an object you treasure that you'd be devastated if you lost? Maybe a family heirloom, a portrait wedding dress, chess set, linking generations that speaks to who our families are, or maybe something you're hoping to pass down someday. We imbue objects with meaning and in the process often share who we are and what we value. So what's an object that means a lot to you and why? Ian writes on Instagram, my abuela gifted me her brother's stamp collection. It has stamps from all over the Americas and some from Europe dating back through the 1930s. You can tell us your treasured objects by emailing forum at kqed.org, posting on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum, or by calling 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Joining me now is Ari Bird, a visual artist who splits her time between San Diego and Oakland. Thanks so much for joining us, Ari. Hi, Mina. It's my pleasure to be here. So what's the object that comes to mind when we say what would devastate you if you were without it? Yeah, so the first thing I thought of was um, this little gold-painted tree pom-pom. I believe it's from like a sugar a sugar gum tree. Oh. And yeah, so it's painted gold. My grandpa gifted it to me um, when I was really young. And the story behind the object is that when... I was about three or four. Um, He was a journalist. He was a writer. And at that point in his life, he was struggling financially. So during the holidays, what he did for each family member um, was give us this little gift of a painted um, pom-pom. And this little, you know, natural object has followed me around from city to city to all my different apartments and houses. And I always put it in a very prominent special spot in my room. And, um, you know... 
this object means so much to me because even though I was really young at the time when I received it, I knew that this was just something very valuable that said a lot about what my grandpa valued and what his character was. Um, and, you know, I've taken that with me throughout my life and I plan to hold on to it, you know, so. What did your grandpa value? What was his character? You know, he always valued creative endeavors in front of other things. <laughs> and then also nature. He was a very curious man. He was always looking around him, asking questions about all the people around him, the natural environment. And uh, those are all things that I really seek to obtain as well. So qualities. What you're describing reminds me a little bit of this comment from listener Beth, who writes, my dad's fountain pen and his bamboo fly fishing rod, which were gifts to him when he graduated university during the Great Depression. My mom's 1940 Jay Wisson son's co-sewing scissors and her Tiffany & Co. sterling silver letter opener, which she got as gifts when she graduated university during the Great Depression. Alas, I admit, at age 76, I often break down crying using each of them, since the Great Depression was so hard, and they often spoke of the great joy the items gave them and how humbled they were to receive them. Just kind of thinking about what the giver was conveying to some extent or what what the story is in terms of the meaning behind it, um, similarly as you describe your grandfather. Right. Right. And it's interesting, too, because these are objects that their loved ones actually used, you know, um, and maybe they didn't intend necessarily for those to be the heirlooms. Right. But they, <laughs> yeah. they're so they're, those are, I think, the objects that many of us are drawn to that have that meaning. Yeah. The ones that aren't intended to be the heirlooms. I think certainly you're drawn to that. Right. Because your art practice deals explicitly with objects of the everyday. You make these giant versions of things like tube socks and, and bread clips with sculpture and, and large paintings and things like that. Why? What are you drawn to in terms of everyday objects? Well, first of all, you know, I like these banal everyday objects, like a giant, like a bread clip, say, that we throw around, we consider it trash. But then or maybe we have a stash of them that we hold in a, you know, in a forgotten drawer or something like that. But then when you actually stop and look at something like a bread clip, you're like, wow, this design is really interesting and odd. And like these colors are really cool. And it's just a weird object. And then you start researching it and you find out, oh, like the, the different colors of the bread clip indicate the day that things were baked sometimes. And there's like all these little details. And um, it just, there's always like, like information embedded in these objects. Um, and so that's something I really find fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you find out that like one family has a copyright over the bread clip? Yeah. yeah. So apparently, you know, I'm pretty sure that one family is has a copyright to that shape. And that's like why it's so particular, you know? Yeah. I wondered in terms of looking at some of your art, if you're also commenting on our disposable culture, how we how we treat things as disposable, um, and maybe if we were less so inclined, uh, that we'd care a lot about trash, we'd, even maybe the environment. Is there a thread in there for you with that? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I think that, you know, another thing that 
is really interesting to me going along that theme is like a lot of the nature of art making is um, not environmentally sound. A lot of the pigment, pigments that we use, the materials that we use. And so it's interesting to think about like that component. And also another theme of making these small, like insignificant, banal everyday objects larger than life is like what happens when you give objects like that space and like physicality and like a lot of like like breathing room because then they become otherworldly and surreal and you know bring joy to people right so those are like definitely two themes that I think about a lot yeah I was reading a New Yorker series on family heirlooms and one contributor wrote how their grandmother had a need to gather things while their mother liked nothing more than to get rid of things. <laughs> right. And I was wondering, you, you've talked about being drawn to objects just as a kid. Um, first, I'm curious what it, what it means, what it feels like to be drawn to objects. But I'd also be curious if you, if you examined why you are drawn to objects and why some of us do imbue objects with meanings, with meaning, while others of us, you know, really don't. <laughs> Right, right. Well, there are certain... First of all, I'm a clean freak, and I love to... So even though I have a bunch of little tiny objects, like plastic toys and stuff from the 99 cent store, they're all like perfectly organized and clean. So I will wow. say that. That's kind of a contradiction. But um, I, I think that like I'll be drawn to these objects, and it started when I was a child, but I still find it now, where they're kind of like oddly satisfying or tactile in these ways. Like I touch it, or I hold like the weight of it, or the texture or the color and for some reason I have this just like need for the object I'm like it needs to be in my life you know and eventually maybe I will kind of let it go and pass it to a friend or use it in an art piece or something like that you know um but I really can't describe like what it is like this need for certain objects and it's not because they have inherent value right I mean some of them do but some of them like do not and I mean I think for me um I mean, obviously, I think about this a lot, too. I'm drawn to certain things, and I have such a connection with objects because, you know, um, I mean, there's many different reasons. I've always been kind of flighty, and my sense of personal memory is not the best. <laughs> so a lot of times I will use these objects almost in place of memory, which is really fascinating to me because I see my grandmother, who is kind of losing, you know, some control over her life and her functions and stuff like that, um, doing a very similar thing with her objects, you know, mm -hmm. like using them in place of memory. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Marina writes, I wear my grandmother's wedding ring every day in a moment of lucidity a few years ago before her Alzheimer's got really bad. She slipped it on my finger and asked me to keep it safe after she was gone. It is the only object she kept since the day she received it. I wear it every day because I will remember her life even when she doesn't. Um, you, our listeners, are sharing meaningful objects that you inherited, uh, hope to pass down, heirlooms, other things you'd be devastated to lose. And you can do that by emailing forum at kqed.org or posting them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. You can always call us, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, if you'd like to share your stories on air. And and it's so true. You're, you're talking about how important it is to have something concrete 
to help us with memory, especially when memory starts to feel like it's fading. Also so much a connection to people who have left us or who are leaving us. I'm curious, is, is your grandfather still alive? No, he's he's not. He passed away a few years ago. And um, yeah, that's another reason why that object is so special and kind of feels like it guides me and, and you know, is a way to honor him. Susan, our producer, shares, for me, it's a beat-up wooden spoon that my mom used to mix dough. She called it her bread spoon. I actually swiped it from my parents' home shortly after she died to make sure it didn't get lost. She used to make bread every week, and I think of her covered in flour as she needed, and her bright smile. Teresa writes, I inherited my grandmother's 1940s Royal Deluxe typewriter a few years ago. She used it in college before she got her MRS degree her senior year, studying at WSU. It's an incredible anachronism to have on your desk in 2022. But most importantly, it makes me feel closer to Grandma Dorothy. Hearing Teresa talk about an incredible anachronism and having it displayed like that, and the fact that you display your grandfather's little gold pom-pom, it's almost like a disruption too, right? From the, the everyday where we can often just get caught up in the daily the daily routine? Does it function like that for you when you see it? Is that why you display it, Ari? Yeah, for sure. There's definitely this calming sort of presence that just this little object has. And of course, it's decorated on my shelf with hundreds of other little objects, most of which people have given me, you know, these little precious gifts or things that remind me of those like that I care about or experiences that I've had that really, you know, I want to keep around. So... Ari Bird is a visual artist based in Oakland and San Diego. You are listeners again. If you want to share your thoughts, post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at KQED Forum. Email them to forum at kqed.org. What gives an object value to you? What is that value? And what does it say either about your family or who you are? Forum is next after this news. I'm sorry. Forum is next after this break. <laughs> Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. Former presidential candidate Andrew Yang and dozens of other Democratic and Republican politicians announced yesterday they're forming a third centrist party called Forward. 
But third parties have a dismal record of success in the U.S. We'll talk about that history, and we want to hear from you. Would you join a third party? Have you? What would it stand for? You can email forum at kqed.org or leave a voicemail at 415-553-3300. This hour, we're talking about heirlooms, other meaningful objects, and why these objects have value with Ari Bird, a visual artist based in Oakland and San Diego. And you, our listeners, who are sharing some really moving sentiments. Reese writes on Instagram, I have a ring my grandma had made after her liberation from Bergen-Belsen, from silver she found in the burned-out remains of my grandpa's synagogue in Germany. It's truly one of a kind in so many ways, and I feel deeply connected to her when I hear it, when I wear it. I took it to Germany with me this year and wore it while I stood where the synagogue once did. Wow, uh, that kind of gave me the chills. I guess when I think about... um, When I think about not being able to be there, perhaps, when somebody died or able to honor them in death and then trying to pull something solid from their remains to make them real. But I guess the other element of this, Ari, that I'm struck by is also, it's almost like when people, like in Reese's past, you know, family experience, have been treated as expendable. It's almost like having something solid made from that like, <laughs> is an act of defiance or something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's just such a powerful, moving story, really. Yeah, families. It, I think about families that are often separated by by racism and xenophobia and, and enslavement or poverty or or war and other kinds of tragedies. And I imagine that these objects keep kinship kinship bonds um, and also give those kinship bonds new meaning. Um, Sparrow writes, my grandmother had some beautiful silver that had been passed down to her. I love to go underneath her bed and look at it. And one day she taught me how to polish it. My mom gifted it to me and I cherish it. It reminds me of my childhood and the joy my grandmother showed when she taught me about all the different pieces. Also when my dad passed away, I got a gold coin and a chain from him and I never took it off. It stays right over my heart. I think I'm hearing a hello. Is that you, Washu? Washu is a New Yorker staff writer who wrote a piece called Snoopy and Woodstock at my parents' wedding about cutout wedding decorations. Washu, are you with us? Hello. Hi. Can, anyone, can you hear yeah. me? Yeah. Can Can you hear me? Well, you know, while we try to make that connection stable, let me go to caller Anne in Mountain View. Hi, Anne. What would you like to share? Hi. Um, you know, I wanted to share that you know, after losing everything in a natural disaster, you know, fire in the Bay Area, um, uh, everybody says it's just stuff, and you realize that all that stuff is a million little keys to the memories in your brain, you know, and when they're gone, so are those, those doors are shut forever in many cases. And um, it's very disorienting. And, um, you know, we moved a lot in the wake of that over the years. And um, my grand, I had inherited a pot from my grandfather. um, And it was something that was, you know, I, I have so many memories, good memories of being with him and him making him being very particular about how he cooked and 
and um, and using that pot every day brought him back to me. And you know, <laughs> it's it's silly that went astray during one of the moves, and it's almost more hurtful than their wedding rings going amiss during one of the moves. Mm. Um, so, well, it's it's absolutely not silly, which is what this show is is all about so and thank you for sharing that and for reminding us and and you know painting that vivid picture of just how objects connect to connect to memories as as doorways pathways for that that's a really lovely sentiment um let me go next to charlie in san francisco hi charlie Hi, uh, I've uh, got a very odd item, but it's very personal, and it's uh, the handkerchiefs that belong to my dad. They're just normal white cotton handkerchiefs. Actually, they're permanent press, and that's why I like them so much. I pulled them out of his drawer when he was when I was a little boy. Um, I was probably thirteen, and uh, I've been using them throughout my life. Uh, they still held up. Um, they're permanent press, so they don't wrinkle easily, and it's they're very presentable. So they still are, and I'm 71, and I still have them, and I still use them every day. It sounds crazy, but it's true. Now, he blew his nose like I do frequently. <laughs> so in a sense, there's nothing more personal than blowing my nose in his handkerchiefs and realizing, you know, they belong to him. Oh, thank you for sharing that, Charlie. Nathan writes, a family heirloom I would be devastated to lose is a gold cross necklace given to me by my parents for my first Holy Communion in second grade. While I'm not religious, it holds tremendous sentimental value, so much so that I've worn it daily since second grade. I am now 31 years old. (laughs) You know, Ari, it's making me think about... um, how a meaningful object or a family heirloom isn't necessarily the object itself, though maybe in Charlie's case with the handkerchief, it is the object itself, but it's also very much, I feel like, attached to an action that, that Nathan is in, is in many ways writing about being given the necklace um, and Charlie talking about blowing blowing their nose. I wonder if if, if it's also for you that pom-pom that it the act of it being given to you and the way it was given to you that is in a way the heirloom yeah for sure you know it was the whole you know feeling and emotion and sentiment behind it of what my grandpa valued but also I've been thinking about hearing all these stories like the rituals that are embedded in these objects whether it's blowing your nose or taking this object to a special you know place um that that's really fascinating to me too you know just all the emotion that's coming up today I was not (laughs) you know it's really beautiful (laughs) you need emotion for you as well that you weren't anticipating yeah (laughs) definitely well, I think we have figured out our connection with Washu right now. Washu is a New Yorker staff writer and, again, wrote a piece called Snoopy and Woodstock at my parents' wedding. Washu, can you hear me now? I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, so glad you're here. And you described these Snoopy and Woodstock um, items as cutout wedding decorations. Can you first just describe these cutouts for us so we can visualize it? Of course. Um, they're, it's, 
they're just on kind of poster board, like the kind that a, a kid would use for a school presentation. Uh, they're on blue poster board, orange poster board, and they're just these kind of hand-drawn renditions of Snoopy and Woodstock that um, a friend made for my parents uh, for their wedding. And they look, you know, they they look like 95% like Snoopy and Woodstock do. <laughs> but it's it's sort of in that 5% that I, I like to live and, and just think about kind of the the version of America that they had entered into in the 1970s and sort of, they're not items that they themselves cherish as much as I do, but they're items that have survived like all of these cross-country moves in the past 50 years of their lives. So um, they clearly hold some importance to them too. Wow, I'm so struck by you saying that they are in that 5% that you uh, like to think about. Um, so, so first, well, what was their presence, these cutouts presence at the wedding? Did your parents have like a Charlie Brown themed <laughs> wedding? Yeah, it's it's very funny because um, my parents, I, I think part of the reason I'm so fascinated with this period in their lives is, you know, as a kid, especially as a kid of immigrants, your your parents' horizons sort of are your horizons. And so I was just so fascinated with the, the dimensions of their lives you know, when they were in their 30s. And none of their, only one of their member of their combined families could make it to their wedding. So, they, you know, they were just surrounded by their friends. And I keep asking, like, why, why was there Snoopy and Woodstock? Like, were you guys <laughs> really into it? And they said, you know, it was just a popular character of the time. And a, as though that's like a sufficient explanation. But um, yeah, they, they just said that these were popular figures of the time. And so, um, you know, I imagine that, I mean, it would, it would just be like if you had like a, I don't know, like a SpongeBob themed wedding or something. Now it just seems like there's there's obviously more there. And I think as I was writing the piece, I finally had the chance to kind of interrogate what my parents thought about Charlie Brown and Snoopy and sort of the, you know, the the melancholy there, the these notions of luck and of of companionship. Um, it it started to get a little clearer for me at least. And what did they tell you? You know, it, it was funny. They were they kept saying, uh, you know, they they speak English quite well, and they, they kept calling Charlie Brown a loser, which I found like kind of harsh. But my dad said, you know, he's a loser. He just can't get anything to go right. He's a loser. And eventually, you know, we, we kept talking, and then right as they were about to hang up, he says, uh, "Actually, loser is the wrong word. He's an underdog." And I thought, yeah, that's that's exactly who Charlie Brown was, and and that was sort of a quality that they had. Um, uh, you know, a quality they really cherished in these cartoon strips um, was just sort of this idea that this underdog was was still persevering. And so, um, you know, I found that to be very poetic. They didn't necessarily, but they were they were sort of um, you know, they were just yeah. concerned that I had taken them from the house without. Their <laughs> well, do you think when that they were connecting with the underdog? Because they viewed themselves as sort of underdogs in America? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that, um, I think oftentimes new immigrants, you know, people who are settling into um, new horizons, they don't necessarily have the time to think about themselves in terms that, you know, their children might. And so they were just trying to survive and picking up what bits of wisdom they could. And, you know, here I am 40 years later, trying to weave that into a story. And it's something that, um, you know, I, I feel like connects us. Yeah. 
in going back to what you were saying earlier about you know being sort of preoccupied with the five percent is that sort of a metaphor <laughs> like this this ninety five percent close to being Snoopy is that sort of like a metaphor for the immigrant experience or I don't know I feel like that's I, there's something there in what you're saying yeah I mean I I certainly thought so I, I think in the piece I, I do write something to the extent of like did they see themselves in these kind of approximations, these sort of bootleg versions of Snoopy and Woodstock? Um, I don't think they necessarily saw it this way, but it was uh, it, it really spurred my imagination to see it, to see it. And, you know, I was very moved by the caller who was talking about the handkerchiefs and just how th these, you know, oftentimes what we value, it, it sort of brings us to this older world that maybe we didn't experience um, and, and there's just something really awe-inspiring about these things taking on new purposes and taking on um, new stories. Yeah. We're talking about meaningful objects we inherited, passed down, found, gathered, and why they have value to us, why we imbue value upon them. We're talking with Washu, a New Yorker staff writer, also professor of literature at Bard College. Um was pieces, Snoopy and Woodstock at my parents' wedding. Ari Bird is with us, a visual artist based in Oakland and San Diego. And let me go to call her Cindy in Ventura. Hi, Cindy. Hi, how are you? I'm well. I, go right ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I love this topic. And because I'm I'm an archiv archivist by nature, <laughs> um, I love objects and I treasure them. But um, I'd heard about this process. I was always trying to get stories for my kids from my mom and I heard about this process where you take an object and you give it to the person and have them tell you about it and so it's called a living archive and so and an object archive I guess and so I um I sat down with my mom with my recorder and I would take objects and and she would it prompted her to tell wonderful stories and for example, I would, I gave her a, a Navajo basket and I asked her to, you know, what was the time? Why did you get this? Where did it come from? And she told me that story, but then she said, but wait a minute. And it would, this, this happened a lot. She said, come upstairs. And we went to her jewelry box and she pulled out these two objects. One was a bracelet that was kind of, you know, not really great looking. And, and another was a necklace with uh, some turquoise and a yishi. And it, it wasn't like her normal Navajo jewelry. And she said, these were the first. And I said, what? And she said, I was buying some jewelry from this master jeweler, Navajo, and his son was sitting next to him making his first pieces. And these his, his son, she said, was really young, like around seven. And so these awkward pieces were representative of a child who she really was fascinated by, that he was so young and starting his, his career already, so to speak, and his craft and his talent. And so these were in her jewelry box when she passed, and I knew nobody else would want them, <laughs> but I knew what they were. And so I still have them, and they're displayed in my on my jewelry box, and they're just really precious to me. And um, and and the the handkerchief story. Oh my gosh, I made a tallit from the handkerchiefs of 
of all of my relatives who had passed so that mm. when my my family wraps themselves in this cleat, they're wrapped in not only fabric from, I know I'm going to a different story, but um, not only fabric from um, my wedding dress, um, but also the handkerchiefs of, of all of our res- their relatives who had recently passed. So mm. it's kind of this passing on of traditions. Yes. But anyway, well, I love that idea of getting your your family members to talk about things by just having them talk about specific objects, kind of like the Mickey Mouse story, too. Well, it, it's another... Oh, Snoopy story, sorry. Snoopy, yeah, but it's, it's another great... Um, great role that objects play, which is that they spark conversation and dialogue and connection in that way as a result. So thank you for for reminding us of that too, Cindy. Um, and your comment is reminding me right now of Maricela's comment. Maricela writes, my grandmother, Ruth Murillo, was an avid crocheter and used to make everyone a very intricate mantle as a wedding gift. She stopped when her eyesight worsened and her hands got tired, but she made an exception for my wedding in 2014. She has since passed, but I hope to pass my mantle to my children to show her amazing craftsmanship. I'm a designer at Levi's that works on women's 501s. I recently had my initials embroidered onto my personal favorite pair of 501s as a way to celebrate my success at this company and in this industry. These jeans will be passed on to my kids once they don't fit anymore. And with proper care, they'll be worn by generations to come. We're talking about objects we hope to pass down, objects we inherit, objects that mean so much to us and why we give them value with New Yorker staff writer Washu and with Ari Bird, a visual artist in Oakland and San Diego. What is that for you? What's an heirloom, an object you'd be devastated if you lost? What gives it its value? Email your comments and questions to forum at kqed.org. Find us on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram at KQED Forum. Give us a call, 866-733-6786, 6786. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The objects that mean so much to us. Jen writes, my mother and father who were divorced died in 2020 and 2021. When cleaning out my father's house, we found several ties sewn by my mom. Their friends told us she used to make and sell ties and even had special tags made for her designs. Although not quite today's style, I have these hanging in my room. There were so many everyday objects, it was hard to decide what to keep. But these were new to me. Everyday objects is something that Ari Bird, a visual artist based in Oakland and San Diego, sees magic in. Also, Washu is with us, a New Yorker staff writer who's written a piece recently about Snoopy and Woodstock cutouts at his parents' wedding. Ari Bird, um, thinking about going through everyday objects is reminding me that I think right now you are going through your grandparents' belongings. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what you are doing right now and what that process is bringing up for you? The reasons why I came down to San Diego from the Bay Area um, was actually to provide some care assistance to my grandma and also go through her home. Um, I'm wondering if she's going to listen to this. How do I phrase this? So after her husband passed, which was a separate grandparent or grandpa, um, he left behind a lot of things that he was very obsessed with, and you could call it hoarding. Uh, there's a little element of that, um, but the house was, you know, kind of in disrepair. There were piles of electronics and plastic clips that he got at the 99-cent store and just hit the things that he was, you know, really intense about collecting and owning. He also had some cool records, like thousands, we're talking. Um, but I came to the house and started going through a lot of these objects and it was just so it was such an interesting kind of conflict and contrast that I was having with these objects because I had I also made this art studio in the house so I was building these large-scale everyday objects you know but then also like kind of hating objects you know and just like wanting to get rid of all these things you know and especially some of these electronics from the 90s and 2000s you know they're like toxic to the environment like we were kind of talking about before so it's like what do I even do with this I can't just throw it in a landfill you know so it was this funny contrast of like why am I even making these objects if I'm like do I love objects like you know so yeah (laughs) that was that was an that's an experience that I've been working through (laughs) well uh, let me go to Casey and Hayward hi Casey hi uh, good morning yeah no I'm sorry I kind of missed I heard a little bit of the last conversation but uh you know, I was calling because my parents passed over the last couple of years, and they they had so many things. And I think in a in the modern society that we're we're like consumers, right? We buy stuff and we obtain things. They they got everything, they saved everything from from previous family generations and their own things. And it's just it's really hard to know what what like how to honor that those things and whether they saved them because they were special or whatever. Right. I, I don't even know the <laughs> history of a lot of them. Right. And, what, and, and just what was to know. Yeah. And then, so I really wish I had done this while they were alive rather than now going through their house after they passed. But I, wow. I just think it's important. Like I plan, I, I make a, a point in my life to keep only, I have, like a box for every sort of generation of my like period of my life. I, you know, and uh, so I have three boxes now that, and I, and I keep only what fits in those few boxes. And I talk to my kids about those things to make sure that when I die, that they, you know, that they will know what, what to, you know, what they mean. 
right? And if they yeah. don't mean anything, I get rid of them, you know? Wow, that's that's a good way to, of doing it. Um, Ari, it's making me think about, has your grandmother tried to give you items, uh, hoping that you will take things, knowing <laughs> what you do as an artist? Yeah, so it's it's also funny because, you know, the things that maybe she values, that she treasures, these, like, large, like, you know, heavy glass vases and collections of, you know, different objects. You know, she has these dollhouses that she's obsessed with that I actually think are really cool. But I don't necessarily need those things in my life, right? And so it's been really interesting to watch her respond to how our family is either choosing to take these things or kind of, you know, maybe not wanting some of them. And also conversely, because I see her get a little upset or something because she has so much, again, emotion and history and importance in these objects. And as kind of generations, you know, you know, we go through generations, we kind of value different things. I would much rather have these little doodles that I found that my mom made in the 70s, you know, um, in that house. Like I found, you know, all these little ephemeral goods. And those are the sort of things that I'm going to hold on to. And so my grandma kind of doesn't really understand why I don't want those vases, you know. Yeah. How do you navigate that awkwardness? (laughs) Well, I mean, sometimes I just, you know, we've said, oh, we just don't need that. Let's let's find someone who does really want it and can treasure it the way that you want. You know, that seems to be a good um, response. Cassandra asks, as I revisit some of these items that I stored away years ago, my perspective changes from hurt hidden away to now where I see love and acceptance of my past. I also wonder why as a society we keep so many objects. Is it because we don't have enough connection? Isn't it funny that our most valued objects have little value? I think what Cassandra is saying there in terms of monetary value. Washu, I'm wondering, do you think your parents care about the the same objects that you do like do you feel like you care more about those snoopy cutouts than they do oh yeah absolutely um i um you know for the past few years i've been writing this memoir that comes out this fall um the snoopy and woodstock bit is sort of a fragment from it Mm. but um it's largely about kind of growing up in the 1990s and the sort of tragedy that fell upon some friends and I. But, you know, there's a chapter about my, my parents and sort of their, their entry in the United States. And I think one thing, you know, when Ari mentioned the, the record collection, um, my ears perked up because I, I collect a lot of records. But, you know, it's also interesting kind of the, the, these everyday things we leave behind that kind of current generations don't leave behind. So, you know, if someone who's young now uh, grows older, like they're going to leave behind a digital music collection and that's going to be less evocative, I would say, than kind of flipping through an older person's records. Uh, my, my father moved to Taiwan when I was a teenager and he wrote me these faxes um, and you know, my family <laughs> likes keeping things. And when I was writing my memoir, I, I found this collection of faxes and it's just sort of like letters back and forth that we sent via fax machine from like, 1992 to 1995. And it felt like encountering a version of myself and a version of my family that I'd forgotten existed. But when I told my parents, they were like, oh, uh, we meant to recycle that like 25 (laughs) years ago. You know, there's no value to reading these old, old moments of uh, connection and tenderness and whatnot. And so, you know, for them, they would rather uh, that I care about like some large ceramic thing in their living room, you know? Yeah. 
<laughs> well, I, it makes me think about an object's objectivity. I'm now wondering yeah, if those words absolutely. are connected, right? Because <laughs> an object can mean different things to different people. If you write about it and you talk about what it means to you, then it takes on that meaning as well. But do you think yeah. about, about that, Juan, in terms of how we all see objects differently? Yeah, and, and I think it, a lot of it just has to do with the meaning, the story that sort of comes out of it. I mean, if I had just come across these Snoopy drawings and in my garage and not known the story, I just would have thought they were just kind of bad drawings of Snoopy. But, you know, they become something precious when they can connect you to an experience, you know, or a possibility that that you didn't know about. Um, and I think that's why so many people are bringing up objects that feel very everyday and yet ephemeral. You know, they just sort of accrue this magic. Right. Well, along those lines, George writes, I have a napkin ring with my mother's name on it from when she was at a Catholic boarding and finishing school in the 1950s. I think about who she was, a rebel child being schooled by nuns, and about who will cherish it when I'm gone. It's not just some tarnished piece of silver. It's a reminder of a way of life gone forever. Another listener writes, one of my favorites is my grandfather's palette knife covered with oil paint held by his hand. It brings back the smell of turpentine and the feel of crinkling linoleum from his art studio. Small and precious. Let me go to Deke in Petaluma. Hi, Deke. You. Hi. Go right ahead. Yeah. So uh, thanks for thanks for the awesome show. Um, but yeah, I was calling in to talk about my dad and and uh, things that uh, that. Um, that he left behind. So anyway, I lost my father to uh, multiple myeloma in 2018. Mm. And um, growing up as kids, uh, we always went skiing with my dad. He was the drill sergeant, get us up at the crack of dawn and march us to the ski hill. And, you know, that wasn't always so pleasant as, as kids, right? But and as we grew into adulthood, it really became the thing we did with dad, right? We really achieved friendship and camaraderie and, and a lot of love around skiing. So when he passed in 2018, I decided um, as we were going through his stuff and, you know, um, trying to figure out what we keep, what we save, I saw the skis um, and I was like, I'm keeping those, right? Because one of his little mantras was a checklist in the morning, right? Skis, boots, poles. And that's exactly what he left behind, skis, boots, poles. So to this day, when I go home and it's wintertime, I'll use his skis, his boots, his poles. Um, and in a sense, I'm still skiing with dad, right? And it's interesting now, vis-a-vis -vis my kids, because I can use those objects as a way to talk about their grandfather, that, you know, how much skiing meant to, to him and to us as a family, and then pass that tradition on to, to my kids. So, yeah, just wanted to relay that comment. Thank you. I love the idea of being able to ski out with your dad feeling like you're skiing with your dad by by using his poles <laughs> that's really lovely um let me go to gail and panole hi gail hi uh thanks for taking my call i love this show it's the <laughs> first time i've ever called in um because i realized the profound question as to what would be feel a loss if we were separated from it and I've been one who I'm turning 60 this year, and I've been on a pare down, lighten the load mode for most of my adult life because I felt like I had too many things that got in the way of, of a more 
active lifestyle and so on. Yeah. But there is one thing that I realized by your question, and that is my mom's sister, she knit all of her gra- her nieces and nephews and grandchildren Christmas stockings with their name on it. And that's the one thing I've toted around, even though I'm not sentimental about Christmas. I've toted it around and I pull it out every year, even though I don't do anything else for Christmas, really, at this point, except for visit people. Um, but, yeah, that that would be it. And I never stop to think of it. So thank you for your question. It was very revelatory for me. Thanks. Well, I'm glad, Gail, that you appreciated that question. And I'll be honest, when my producers pitched the show, I my response was, I don't have anything like that. <laughs> and then when they put it in terms of what would you be devastated if you lost, that's when suddenly uh, things came to mind. So I, I very much relate to your experience. Thanks, Gail. We are talking about the heirlooms, the meaningful objects that we've inherited or hope to pass down, the objects we'd be devastated to lose on forum. With Ari Bird, a visual artist in Washu, a writer, a professor of writing at Bard College, has a new memoir coming out called Stay True, wrote a piece about his parents' Snoopy and Woodstock cutouts at their wedding. You are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go to Paul next in Soda Springs. Hi, Paul. Hi. Um, see, I'm calling about uh, my my father brought home an army blanket from European theater World War II. Um, and I use it <laughs> camping. And so it's an object that um, I don't just stow it away and remember it from time to time, but I actively use it. But uh, it's just this thin wool blanket about four foot square uh, that went through the Battle of Bulge. Wow. Um, so wow. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> it's, it's strange that it's a special remembrance thing, but it's also a piece of camping gear. Yeah. Well, um, I, I can hear how much it means to you, Paul. Yeah. I, it. Go ahead. Um, well, I used it uh, camping in Half Moon Bay last week, you know, watching the sunset with it wrapped around me. So, Well, thank you for that lovely, lovely image. Um, Pete writes, my mother lived for 99 years. She was a neat freak and washed everything she owned, frequently in a top-loading washer, which lived in the basement of our farmhouse. She would mix the clothes and the water carefully with a stick, always the same stick. She was like that. That stick is almost gone now, but lives in my kitchen after at least 60 years of doing its job. So one of the things, um, Washu, that we were thinking about when we were thinking about the kinds of questions that we would put out to our listeners and what objects mean to us, we were really realizing that they say as much about the person who gave them to us as it does about who we are. And I'm wondering, especially since you're going through this process of writing a memoir, what you think it says about you based on the objects that you connect to. Well, wow, that's a great question. And, um, you know, I, I just have to say, 
I, I live in New York now, but KQED is the the station I listened to a lot as a kid. And so, you know, this kind of swirl of emotion that's really coming through, it's, I'm definitely feeling it. I'm very appreciative that, you know, you're doing this show and giving people a chance to share their stories. Cause I think that's, that's all we really wanted to do when we did the package for the New Yorker a couple of weeks ago was just to give people a chance to, to view their own stories in, in similar terms. Um, I tend to be a pretty sentimental person, sort of ordery, ordery in my own way. And the process of writing this memoir, you know, I, I have just sort of stuff that I've accumulated over the past 24 years as I've tried to reckon with um, the sort of tragedy at the core of the book. And I do feel kind of weirdly unburdened by it. And I was actually talking to someone the other day about how all of these things that I've held on to all of this time that brought me back to that moment that I've been trying to get to in my writing, um, I feel actually ready to let go of a lot of things, which is not something that comes naturally to me. Like I, I you know, like I come from, <laughs> my parents kept faxes for 24 years. So I am very much like them and that I like, just having an abundance of old things around me, but, you know, turning it into something else, turning it into a story, turning it into a piece of writing. Uh, I'm sure for a lot of people listening now, turning it into a story you can share with, with, with strangers and find comfort. I feel like it, it changes and maybe it evolves your relationship to, to the past and these things. It sort of reminds us of not just who these people were, but maybe who we want to be and, and the sort of work that continues there. Yeah. Jen writes, my brother recently died unexpectedly. Oh. And each of my sisters and I have things that we got from his home. They aren't anything fancy, just everyday items, but they will be a way of remembering him every time we see them or use them. Ari, not to put you on the spot, but is there something that you've already decided that you'd like to pass on? Oh, um, hmm. If you could. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, it's odd because I make art that goes out to other people <laughs> that I'm passing on. So I'm sure I'll have pieces like that to pass on to. Yes, <laughs> that's so true. And it's actually great if you if you don't necessarily have a generation to pass on to yet, thinking of alternative ways that we pass who we are, what we value um, on into the outside world. Well, Ari Bird, thank you so much for talking with us. Yeah, thank you. This was so nice. Washu, thank you as well. Thank you so much. And our listeners, incredible stories, incredible writing in your comments. We appreciate it so much. Thank you, Caroline Smith, for producing the segment. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.